Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 336 with Jacqueline Carter. Jacqueline is unpacking what makes for a good leader's mind. So you'll learn one, what the American workforce looks for in a career and leader. Two, how to avoid power corrupting you as you rise. And three, the distinction between compassion and empathy and which one is more helpful. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep336. And here's Jacqueline's story. With a Master of Science in Organizational Behavior and over 20 years of experience supporting organizations through large-scale change, Jacqueline has held a wide range of leadership and consulting roles across a range of industries, including transportation, oil and gas, insurance, and government. Jacqueline has many years of personal experience with mind training and over the past 10 years has focused on embedding mindfulness practices into daily corporate life. Big thanks to Jacqueline for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Jacqueline. Jacqueline, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much, Pete. Great to be here. Well, I'd love to get oriented a little bit to what you're doing. The Potential Project is a really cool name. What's it all about and what do you do there? Yeah, thanks so much. So The Potential Project is a global organization and our passion is helping leaders and organizations enhance performance and creativity and resilience through understanding and training the mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that sounds awesome. And so then <laughs> what are you doing there? I'm a partner with the organization. So as I said, it's a global organization and I uh, work internationally as well as oversee our operations in North America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, when we talk about the mind, your latest book is called The Mind of a Leader. What's the big idea here? So Potential Project, we've been in operations for over a decade and we've been very much focused on helping organizations, as I said, enhance performance And specifically, a lot of our work has been on training mindfulness. And I can define what that means, but just really simply, it's training the mind to be able to be more here now, less distracted and more focused. And what we found uh, about two and a half years ago is that we were seeing with a lot of the leaders that we were working with is that mindfulness training alone wasn't enough. And we were just seeing that so many leaders we were working with, they were experiencing such a degree of pressure. They were feeling overwhelmed. There just wasn't enough hours in a day for them to be able to be successful. And in addition to that, as many of your listeners know, and as I'm sure you know, and you've had other speakers talk about, but the changing nature of the workforce today. And and what we really saw is what we came to call a leadership crisis. And we wanted to put our research hats and get into it and try to understand more about what are the challenges that are facing leaders today and what do they need to be able to be successful to create more healthy, happy, productive organizations. So that's the big idea behind the book. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued. So the mindfulness trainings weren't quite getting the job done. And what was the root behind that? You said there's just the sheer volume of stressors or what wasn't clicking and connecting for folks? So the mindfulness training, and for those of you who don't know, as I said, I can define it just to make sure that we have a common language, but it really is about training the mind to be able to be present. So it's about being here now. And what we found was that was critical. I mean, if you and I aren't both here, then we might as well not be having this conversation. So so mindfulness is really table stakes, especially for any leader and and certainly for any employee. If you want to be effective, you have to be able to be present. 
But what we found was certainly with the changing nature of the workforce today is that workers today, they were looking for more meaning and for more purpose. They were looking for a place where they felt more connected. And, and we've started looking at the engagement scores, you know, only 13% of the global workforce is engaged, 24% actively disengaged. There was a survey that said that 65% of employees would forego a pay raise to see their leader fired. Um, and we, we looked at things like uh, another survey in McKinsey study looked at uh, 77% of leaders thought they were doing a great job as leaders, but 82% of their employees, not so much. And, and so what we saw was that more than just mindfulness, leaders also needed to look at qualities of being more selfless. And I can also define that and also bringing more compassion into their leadership. Mm -hmm. Yes. Also. That's intriguing, some of those figures there. So 65%, almost two-thirds of people would sort of not take, you know, whatever their two, three, four, five percent annual bonus if they could have their leader fired. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> no list was part of that study, but uh, it's very depressing. I'm intrigued. Is it their immediate boss or the CEO? <laughs> their immediate boss, actually. Uh, yeah, which is really interesting. But, but when you talk about CEOs, I mean, that's the other thing that we looked at is the trust index shows consistently that our faith in leaders and specifically in CEOs has gone significantly down over the past years. And, and so it's kind of combining all these things and saying, you know, what's, what's going on? What's happening? And that's really what we wanted to, to find out. And, uh, and, and that was what our research was all about. Okay. So you've identified these three forces there, mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion. So let's discuss a little bit in terms of how does one develop each of these and what are the benefits and results of deploying them? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe just for a little bit of context. Uh, so just to say in terms of our research, just to give it some some weight as it's not just me, just uh, and, and us folks at Potential Project with some great ideas. We did, we did survey, uh, we interviewed over 250 C-suite executives. We surveyed over 35,000 leaders from 72 countries. Uh, we engaged with leading researchers and did field work with companies including Accenture and Marriott and Cisco. So I just wanted to give it a little bit of context before I dive into it, because some of these concepts may seem soft or flaky. They may not seem like hardcore business, but what we were really inspired by is how the leaders that we spoke to saw these as being absolutely critical to being successful as a leader today. All right. So is that a good enough backdrop? Uh, yes, thank I you. Can, okay. So to start off, as I said, with mindfulness, I, and maybe just one other backdrop, you said, how can they cultivate these? So I think the other starting place to look at that is what we know about the brain. And so we're very much interested in looking at things from a scientific perspective. And the cool thing, what we know about our brain is that um, it is plastic. So we can actually you know, develop new skills because of something called neuroplasticity. And so I think that's the really exciting thing is what we what we know is that, for example, even though feel um, distracted all the time, or we may feel stressed or overwhelmed, we can train ourselves to be able to be more relaxed, to be able to be more focused, to be able to be more calm. And there's specific training tools. And that's really the starting point. That's what mindfulness is about. And mindfulness training is training the mind to be able to manage your attention. So one of the things that science tells us is that our mind basically wanders 47% of our waking hours. Um, so what that looks like, just to make it practical, is, you know, for anybody that's listening, during the time that Pete and I have already been talking, you might have found that, you know, you started thinking about 
what might happen next or a meeting that you were just in. And basically, that's normal. That's the way our mind naturally works. And the key thing about mindfulness training is whether we can be aware that, oh, our mind has gone off on a little journey and whether we have the mental fitness or attentional muscle to be able to say, no, you know, I really want to listen to this podcast. I'm going to manage my own attention. I'm going to be here now. So that's, that's mindfulness. It's, it's, it sounds simple. Uh, for anybody who's practiced it, it's simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's training the mind to be able to be more here now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then what are some of the best practices for building that muscle? Yeah. So there's actually, you can go to the mental gym. So you can actually do, and that's uh, a lot of what we do at Potential Project is we introduce and it's 10 minutes of, of daily mindfulness training, just like you would go to a physical gym to be able to develop better, stronger muscles, physical muscles. You can go to the mental gym to be able to develop basically better attentional muscles. And uh, 10 minutes a day has been shown from a research perspective to significantly help in terms of overcoming that mind's natural tendency to wander. So when we go to the mental gym, what does that consist of? In our work, the way we introduce mindfulness training is we like to keep it very, very, very simple and stripped down because we know that most of us already have enough complexity in our lives. So we actually, our method is called ABCD, just as, as simple as you can get. And the A is basically to be able to look at your anatomy and make sure that you are as relaxed as you can be. The B is about simply focusing on your breath. And uh, and again, that sounds simple, but it's not always easy. The C, we invite people to count. So they count their breaths one to 10 and then count backwards, 10 back down to one. And the D is for distractions. And we know that our mind naturally wanders. And in mindfulness training, when your mind wanders, it's actually a good thing because it gives you the opportunity to flex that attentional muscle to bring your mind back to the breath and then just simply start counting from one again. Okay, cool. And so with that counting to 10 and then back, is that synchronized with breathing in terms of ones on the inhale, ones on the exhale, or how's that go? No, it's simply you breathe in, you breathe out, count one, breathe in, out two, up to 10, and then count backwards. Okay. And one of the things that's really key about the counting is it's not about one of the things people, especially, you know, high potential, high achievers, you know, they feel like, oh, you know, I want to get to 10 and back down to one and, and become almost competitive or put themselves under pressure. The key thing is the counting is just a way to make sure that your mind just isn't wandering as you're sitting there focusing on your breath and you start to daydream. But it really, like, it doesn't matter if you don't get to 10. The key thing is how many times can you notice that your mind is wander and bring it back? And that's every time you do that, that's really when you're flexing your attentional muscle. And then the cool thing about that is then when you're sitting in that meeting and your mind starts to wander because it does, you can bring it back because you've got a stronger mental muscle. And so that's the other thing that we look at is not just the practice of mindfulness on its own and going to the mental gym, but how to apply it to practical things like being in a meeting and being effective or apply it to emails or apply it to priorities or, or to being more creative. So how might we apply it to email? So a couple of things. One of the things, such a simple tip is to turn off all email notifications. And the reason for that is that we know that every time uh, we get a pop-up on our computer or a pop-up on our device, it's a distraction to us. And it basically, we know that from an efficiency perspective, when we get distracted, 
it can take between a couple seconds to a couple minutes for us to bring our attention back to whatever we were doing. So we think that, oh, but it's helping me keep track of what's going on in my day. And it's really just losing you time because you're basically distracted throughout the day. So it's such a simple little technique, but it's, it's can actually save you minutes. And those minutes add up, it can actually save you even an, an hour each day to just turn off those notifications and only do emails when you want to do emails as opposed to just being always on with them. Okay, cool. Well, so then where's the uh, selflessness piece come in? Yeah, absolutely. So selflessness, a, a simple definition is basically not letting our natural egoistic tendencies to get in the way of us being the best leader we can be or even the best human we can be. And kind of a fundamental way to look at it is that one of the things that we know is that, again, from a neurological perspective, we have a natural tendency to be self-referential. You know, everything that we are experiencing, we experience in terms of how I experience it. And that's natural. You know, like I am doing this right now or I like this. I don't like that. And that is natural and normal. But as a leader, if it's all about me, <laughs> it's actually not very effective. It's not very helpful. So leadership is really about making sure that we're looking about at others and, and what is important to the team and how can we actually support all of us be more successful. And it really is critically important. It's trainable as well. Um, but especially in leadership, and this was back to what we found in the research, what was so important about cultivating selflessness is a lot of the research shows that as we rise in the ranks of leadership, our chances of becoming more rude, becoming more unkind, becoming more unethical actually increases. Intriguing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's intriguing and frightening. Um, but it's really interesting. And you think about it and, you know, I'll, I'll even say from my own personal experience, you know, I do a lot of talks and presentations and I'm standing up in front of crowds of, you know, maybe hundreds of people. And I can feel that natural tendency of my ego wanting to say, oh, Jacqueline, aren't you special? And I need to constantly remind myself, no, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not, not special, but I'm not, <laughs> not all about me. And, and so it's just that natural tendency for us to start to get a big head. Uh, as we as you as we rise in the ranks of of power, and it's so critical to to bring that selflessness into our leadership. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, and so now I'm just so intrigued. I guess we could spend hours talking about the why. Yes, but yeah, what do you think it is? Is it just because they are accustomed to being treated well, and so then it's like you sort of think that you're special and you deserve it? Maybe it's just sort of a natural kind of pattern putting together there. Well, it can be that, but it's also how people start to treat us. One of the great stories that we just loved. We had so many great stories from the interviews that we did. But one of the CEOs, he explained it to us like this. He said, you know, when I became CEO, he said, what I noticed is that people started to laugh more at my jokes. <laughs> he said, I don't think I'm any funnier. <laughs> I can assure you, I don't think I'm any funnier. But people, I mean, we are social beings and we look, we do, we, we have, you know, who's in charge, who's, who's the leader and we treat them differently. Um, and in addition to that, you know, and, and, and especially the research on power and the, how power corrupts us as we rise up the ranks, but it's even simple things like a leader is less, is more likely to not clean up after themselves uh, when they're leaving a room. And, and it's, you know, it's simple things like that, but it can, really end up and, and you think, well, that's okay. Well, they don't have time. You know, they're busy. Well, you know, but it's about really, um, you know, 
are, are we out for ourselves? And, and of course, it can lead to the up, ultimate, which is, you know, real corrupt behaviors, which we, we saw a lot in the research. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember when um, <laughs> back in the day when I was in high school, we had our congressman, our U.S. House of Representatives. I don't want to name names, <laughs> but uh, you can do the research if you want to. From Danville, Illinois, back when I was in high school, he visited. And I don't know why I was just sort of fascinated. Like, okay, let's take a close look at this guy. How is he operating? You know, what's his deal? What's the key to his, you know, rise to success and fame or whatever? And I remember he requested tea. Why do I remember this? He requested a tea and uh, he had so a tea bag and some hot water in a cup. He was steeping while the conversations were happening. And then there was a, a napkin right next to the cup. And I noticed he did not place the tea bag onto the napkin but rather onto directly the table. And, and I was like, well, why would you do that? Someone's got to clean the table now. But the, you had a barrier between the table and the tea bag inches away that you could have easily utilized. You, you ought to not do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, it made an impression. But so there you go. Rising to power, not cleaning up after yourself. <laughs> It's a great story. But what was so interesting about the research, and I think that this was, you know, this was so interesting because I did not know this until we got into this research, is that it can happen without you being aware of it. So that leader may not have even been aware that, that that's a power play. That's like, you know what? I'm so important. I can, you know, put garbage on the table. <laughs> but this was the thing. It was that it may not be intentional. And I think that that's the space of where looking at you may become a jerk and you don't even mean to, right? Like, and that's, I think, a key message that we found from, from the studies. Okay, so you can get sloppier and not even notice that it's happening to you as you rise to power. So what are some best practices for cultivating selflessness? Yeah, I think the first thing, and that's one of the things that we did try to do in the book, is to create awareness. I mean, I think all of us should know that power can corrupt our minds. I think that's just critical for all of us to know. And once we know that, we have to make a choice. What kind of leader do we want to be? And one of the simple ways to overcome it is to really practice humility and gratitude. I mean, every time, you know, at the end of each day, just think about all of the people that helped you be successful today. And one of the key things that we really encourage is to look for the people that are unseen, you know, so it could be, you know, the things that didn't go wrong because there was a team of people that helped make sure that you didn't even notice that nothing went wrong and to look for those and to really make sure that you have that sense of gratitude and appreciation. And, you know, a simple thing, and it's, it's a great thing. And actually the, the neuroscience around this is that a, a simple gratitude practice of just every day, you know, thinking of, you know, is there one person you could just send a little note to say, Hey, thanks. I really appreciate whatever you did. Um, it's actually self-serving. Uh, because it not only is great for them, but it actually helps us to cultivate a more selfless mind. So there's great benefit in it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So let's talk about compassion then and how would you distinguish and define selflessness from compassion? Yeah, absolutely. So compassion then is the intention to be a benefit to others. And so the key thing about compassion, in, and this was also really exciting, and maybe just to give a context, when we originally set out to write the book, we talked to, so our, our publisher, we love uh, Harvard Business Review Press, fantastic uh, organization to work with. Originally, it was just going to be on mindful leadership. And so I want to say one of the things that was really exciting to us is through the journey of our research, it was really through that that we kept on hearing leaders talk about the importance of selflessness, talk about bringing more humility and gratitude. 
and also talking about compassion. And that was really exciting to us because for years, we had always known that compassion was beneficial and important, but oftentimes you don't hear a lot of leaders talking about it. And, you know, especially in hardcore, tough, business-minded people, compassion is often seen as soft. And what we really saw and what we heard and what we experienced, and then we, again, pulled back the research on was you know, compassion isn't about being nice to everyone. It's it's really about bringing a true intention to be a benefit to others. So just to give you a scenario of what that looked like, you know, let's say you and I were colleagues and I walked into your office and I saw that you were, you know, you had a heap of paper and you were, you know, just drowning because you had so much or a heap of emails. Maybe most people don't have paper anymore, but just like you were just really under a lot of pressure. And the compassionate approach, if, if I was just being empathetic, I might sit down and be miserable right alongside of you. That wouldn't be helpful to you and it wouldn't be helpful to me. But a compassionate approach is what can I actually do to help you? And there's a couple of things like what I could actually do to help you might be nothing at all because you know what, you got to figure this out for yourself and that's going to be the best way to help you. Or it could be to help you look at your priorities. Or maybe if I was in a you know, a leadership role may be a be to make sure that I haven't been creating too much stress and, and overload for you. So it's really having a business uh, ability to step back, look at the person, look at the situation and ask that question, how can I be of best benefit and doing it with wisdom. Uh, so it includes things like, you know, giving really tough feedback, um, which can be changing, but really beneficial, or even letting somebody go because they're just not performing. They're just not, they're, they're not a good fit for whatever reason, but doing it with compassion, doing it with a great deal of care. Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you. Well, could you maybe share a story or, or case study that kind of ties it all together in terms of, you know, there was an organization that had uh, not a whole lot of the mindfulness not a whole lot of the selflessness, not a whole lot of compassion. And then things got turned around in a cool way. Yeah, well, I would I would love to say that there was one organization that brought it all together. And I can't say that. I can I can certainly say that, you know, what we've really seen and uh, and in the experience that we've had, organizations that focus on these qualities that ha- it has really enabled them to be to be more um, more effective. Uh, more kind and and actually lead to bottom line success. And so just maybe to name a couple out, um, Accenture is an organization that has really embraced mindfulness. It's become core to their their leadership development. And uh, they've got a whole program that's around helping them be more focused. Uh, Organizations that we really admire in terms of selflessness. uh, LinkedIn is a great example where it's really not about, you know, it's not about being not about me, but really about how can how can we bring more of, of a global perspective? And you can see that in some of the things that they do. An organization that we love working with around compassion is Marriott. They have a very simple business philosophy that they've had since they were a nine-stool pop shop in 1927. And that business philosophy is if we take care of our people, they will take care of our guests and business will take care of itself. And that's been their their motto since the early days. Now they're the largest hotel chain in the world, over 700,000 people worldwide. And when we spoke with CEO Arnie Sorensen and, and CHRO David Rodriguez, they said that, you know, that whole idea of taking care of our people, bringing compassion is still the cornerstone of their, their philosophy. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And we talked about a few things that we should start doing in terms of going to the mental gym and put yourself in other people's shoes and seeing how I can best be of service to them. But are there some things that we should stop doing right away in order to excel on these fronts? 
Yeah, I think that one of the things you should stop doing is stop multitasking. It's just a it's just a really bad idea. It's kind of the mother of all evil in terms of being effective and having good relationships and being kind to others. Uh, so basically, then there's just a ton of research and studies that shows it's just a really bad idea. Um, another thing, uh, you know, to, to, to stop doing is, um, you know, I mentioned again, you know, things around, um, what, well, one of the things that we should stop doing is working late at night. One of the things that we know is that most of us simply do not get enough sleep. And so we should all put a greater value on making sure that we get a good night's sleep. Um, and again, there's lots of great research on that. I could, I could go on, but I'll let you see if those are, those are good tips. Oh, good. Thank you. Yes. Anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think maybe one other thing that we found really inspiring uh, and that was really important to us is just an idea of creating more people-centric cultures. Uh, it just came up again and again in our in our work of this idea of bringing more humanity, bringing more of our true selves and being more authentic. So I think maybe one of the things that I would say is that a lot of these qualities it's, they're not, they're, they're, they're accessible to all of us. They're, they just, in some ways, they just, they just make good inherent sense. And what we're really hoping is, and what we're seeing is organizations and leaders that embrace them. It really is. It's nice. It's actually nice to be present with people. It's nice for it all to not be about me. It's nice to be able to bring more kindness and compassion into organizations. And guess what? It also leads to better results. So uh, yeah, I think that's just the other thing I'd like to add. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of probably my favorite quotes is uh, by His Holiness, the, the Dalai Lama says, compassion is my religion. I think that's a good universal one for me. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah, one of my favorite ones, because it was just so uh, shocking, uh, literally shocking, was uh, research that basically they took people into, they, they, sh- they gave people a little electric shock. And uh, they said, does that hurt? And people would say, yes, that hurts. And then they put them in a room with no stimuli whatsoever, no phone, no technology, no nothing, just white walls. And the only thing that they had in that room was that same little electric shock. And what they were looking for is whether people were so uncomfortable being alone and so unable to just sit with themselves that they would actually shock themselves to entertain themselves. And the frightening thing was, and they actually asked people, you know, would you, would you actually shock yourself on purpose? People said, no way. Well, it turned out 67% of men and 25% of women would shock themselves rather than just sitting there and being still and being alone. One guy, uh, shocked himself 190 times. And I just thought that was really interesting and a little bit frightening about human behavior. That's wild. How long were they in there? You know, I can't remember exactly. I mean, they would basically, it was really like, it was about five minutes. So it wasn't a long period of time. (laughs) It's really fascinating. Like how, you know, I mean, and I think that's one of the other things that I find so interesting is that all we have is our minds, basically. I mean, that's how we perceive the world. That's how we do great things. And if we're that uncomfortable with sitting and just being alone with our thoughts that we would actually electrocute ourselves, um, there's a lot. There's a lot of, I could look at it positively. There's a lot of good work that we could do by making us more comfortable being alone with our own mind. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> and how about a favorite book? That is such a tough question. I, um, there are so many that I love. I think from a business perspective, one of the books that, that I really, really enjoyed was Great by Choice uh, by, uh, by Jim Collins and Martin Hansen. Just a 
wonderful stories, great practical examples, and uh, just very inspiring from an organizational leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool? Well, one of them that I love is actually something that we we introduce as part of helping people to remember to be more mindful in their communications. And it's basically when you're about to engage with somebody, um, just and stop standing for ass is just, you know, to be silent because you want to make sure that you listen and not only not talking, but actually try to silent your mind so that you're not um, playing over too many things in your mind. Uh, to The T standing for tune in. The O standing for being open to really listen and, and really to try to hear what the other person is saying and then to be present. And then when you do speak, uh, we use the word act, act as a, an acronym and to make sure that it's appropriate. Uh, the C is for compassionate and that it's well-timed. You don't say too much or too little and it's at the right time. So those are tools that I love to use in all of my communication. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit? Well, that is easy. It's my daily mindfulness practice. Would not start my day with anything else. And is that using those ABCDs or you do something different at your level? Yeah, I do something different. I sit for longer than 10 minutes. Um, but I do find that basic practice. Uh, I do basic uh, breath awareness practices, focusing on my breath. And uh, But I also do specific practices around um, selflessness and compassion, uh, which are also extremely beneficial. And, and again, just usually require taking a little bit longer time. Mm-hmm. And as you think through your writing and speaking and working with folks, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks and they repeat it back to you frequently? Well, I think that probably the resonant nugget is around bringing more of our, being more truly human. I think that uh, one, and this was one of the quotes from one of the the leaders, uh, a senior executive with Audi Volkswagen. He said that management today is about unlearn, sorry, leadership today is about unlearning management and relearning being human. That's a good, good nugget. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So our website is www.potentialproject.com. And you can find not only information about us and our work, uh, but also we have information on the book. And as part of that as well, we actually are creating a global leadership network. So if you're at all interested in these practices of mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion and bringing them into your day-to-day work, your day-to-day leadership, there's more information that you can find on the website. Oh, thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I think it really is. Let's, you know, all start a movement of being more present with each other, being less about us and being more kind. I think the world today needs it desperately. And I think that not only will it help us be more awesome at our job, but I think it'll be more awesome in our societies and have a more awesome world. So that would be my my call to action. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, Jacqueline, this has been so much fun. I wish you tons of luck with the Mind of a Leader book and all that you're up to. Thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you today. I really got a kick out of Jacqueline's tidbit that folks, as they rise in power, the leaders, they are less likely to clean up after themselves. So don't let that be you. Stay humble, mindful, selfless, compassionate as you rise to power. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the link to Adam we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F336. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Matt Perman. He's talking about productivity perspectives he's gained from studying scripture. Hope to catch you there. Peace. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 